Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's Lori Forner here. I'm very excited to bring you today's episode. It is with Dr. Jackie Forsyth. She is an associate professor of exercise physiology at Staffordshire University in the UK. She's a prominent researcher and speaker in the area of women's health, women's exercise and health. Her research is centered on the interactive effect of ovarian hormones, exercise and bone. And that is what we are discussing today. One of her research priorities is to promote, raise awareness, and advance understanding of the key influences that impact the exercising female. She's vice chair of the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network, which we discuss in the podcast episode today. And the aim of this network is to grow, strengthen, and promote research on women in sport and exercise with the ultimate goal of optimizing women's athletic success and their participation. Jackie publishes regularly in peer-reviewed journals in her field. And there is a new book out that we briefly mention in the podcast episode called The Exercising Female Science and Application, which is on my list. I haven't read it yet, but I'm excited to to dig into that soon as well. Now, for those of you who are in London or want a trip to London, the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network is putting on their second conference, um, which is in it's being held at St Mary's University in Twickenham, London. All of the um, links that we talk about today, including um, her book, Where to Find Her, as well as the conference, will be in the show notes. I'm also trying to get the links to work straight on your phone where you read the little blurb from the podcast episode. So hopefully that is working. Uh, Thank you again to all the supporters of the podcast. If you're not aware, you can help support this podcast by going to podbean.com, searching for the Pelvic Health Podcast. Once you click on the Pelvic Health Podcast, at the top right-hand corner, there's a little green um, button that says become a patron. You can click on that and donate one or two dollars a month. You can do one-off donations and it'll give you access to some of the patron-only episodes. Um, All right, that's it for now. I hope everybody enjoys the show. But thank thank you so much for agreeing to come on. And um, uh, it's really, it's funny. This is how we now meet people, isn't it? Is um, online. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not as much face to face. But I have to, a friend of mine here in Brisbane, who's also a physio, her name's Alex Diggles. And she put me on to the BJSM podcast um, episode that you were on talking about the, is it Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network? Is that what? Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, and then that's how I had found out about you and then joined the network. Um, and so I'll direct people to that episode so that they can listen to it as well. But can you also, um, can you tell me a little bit about it now as well? Like why you developed this network and what it's for? So the women, the women in sport and exercise academic network was set up to promote more research on women and um, for women, because the understanding is that in sports medicine, there's a lot of research that's being carried out on males. So, for instance, in the exercise literature about exercise training and adaptations to training, a lot of them have been based on male male participants. Often there's females included in the sample, but there's very few. And I think there was some um, there was an article came out it was saying something like six percent only six percent of the studies on sports medicine and training were on women exclusively so um, there's still really a big need to still research various facets about females my particular area is exercise physiology so for instance menstrual cycle even though you think there's lots of research being done on it there's relatively little compared to how much has been done on males yeah well isn't that what kind of complicates things is the menstrual cycle and the hormones and that people think well it's easier if we just don't do it 
Well, yeah, that is exactly right. Um, and I've been guilty of that myself. It's a, it's almost lazy. I'm mean, not really. But I do, when I give advice now to students, I, I, I ask them, have you control the menstrual cycle phase? And if they haven't, then it is better to have males only because they're more homogenous. So, um, yeah, including females in the sample is always going to be difficult because you'd have to check what, if they've got a normal menstrual cycle, then what phase of the cycle they're in. If they're on some kind of hormonal contraception, then controlling for that. And and by controlling, it's just not about just saying where they are. It's it, it's making sure they're at a certain phase in their menstrual cycle or a certain phase in their pill taking cycle, for instance, if they're they're on the pill. What if they're taking the marina, or what if they have the marina like the the IUD that's I'm like this is funny because exactly. um, I mean it's it's, yeah it's it's not just the pill is it is that the same there's hormonal patches there's different types of progesterone and estrogen um there's there's coil there's there's all sorts of things that a female can take for um for for different reasons for, for contraception but for other reasons as well so it does bring extra things in the mix especially if you're looking at things like metabolism so for instance um fat use and carbohydrate use and if you're looking for effects of training or if you, you measure in heart rate or core body temperature, these are all the things that are quite largely affected by hormones. Our, our research that I'm doing, I'm a PhD student at the University of Queensland and we're looking at pelvic organ descent in women who lift heavy weights and pelvic organ mobility can you know, be um, confounded by times in menstrual cycle but there's no research on that at all it's just kind of all what we know from clinical experience so trying to design a research study and then going oh my gosh I don't know how to control for this do we just write it up like then yeah trying to get people at certain stages of your menstrual cycle it would just be um, hard so I can see why there's not a lot of research in women from that respect so Mm -hmm. this network that you've um, created with um, you've got a colleague as well that you're doing it with? Yeah, Claire Marie Roberts. So she has um, more of an exercise psychology background. So she looks after more psychology, sociology, sociological aspects. Um, we still kind of wanted to address exercising females. So as well as encouraging exercise for health and um, well-being benefits, we also wanted to look at the issues for already exercising females. So you know encouraging more women to do sport is a massive area so we wanted to make it a little bit narrow even though that can be part of what we do it was just about people who were already exercising women who were already exercising and the issues and the barriers and maybe opportunities that they face yeah and that's you've got um that's a relatively new book out as well that's right. So we've got a book, The Exercising Female yes. Science Application. So it's a broad range of um, topics, um, but it includes aspects that are more physiologically related. So things like the menstrual cycle, uh, menopause, um, pregnancy, uh, the immune system, musculoskeletal um Um, issues and then also more social psychology so things like body image exercise addiction um a career transition so as an athlete if they they finish their sport and then what next motherhood those types of issues as well it's on my list i'm like it's next (laughs) on my list i'm like ooh, i really have to get this book and read it as well um and that's i mean a part of that is really what we I wanted to talk about today was that you said you know somewhat your passions are kind of discussing the menstrual cycle hormones bone health and exercise in females so um, you've done research in that area or how did you find the love for you know working all of that out and being in that area uh, well probably initially it's just because of um um ovarian hormones so estrogen and progesterone it's almost as well to me I think it just pervades your life so it's there you you know you have from from when you start menstruating as a a child it's a it's a factor in your life and if you're competing as an athlete or even if you do an exercise you often wonder how is that affecting my performance or do what exercise I'm doing or what I'm eating can that affect how I feel even if it's in terms of emotions as part of your menstrual cycle or in terms of the 
heaviness of your period. You know, you, you, you're constantly thinking of it. And even through the your life, when you get pregnant, how fertile I am, um, or, you know, just generally, whether you lose your period, for instance, if you're not eating enough, you're training too hard, there are issues that you're constantly think, thinking of. And as you get older, then it's menopause. So, you know, all through a women's stage of their life, I, well, to me, I think it's quite important. Mm. <laughs> just a bit weird I'm overthinking it um well I think I've never thought about how much we actually think about our menstrual cycle and periods but I mean if you're not on specific contraception like certain ones that take your period away or you're not amenorrheic you're thinking about it every month yeah, yeah, exactly. And even if you, you, you're taking some form of um, hormonal contraception, then you're thinking about what that does to your body and how you're putting yourself at risk. And also um, maybe how that affects your exercise or your performance if you're an athlete. So you're, you know, you constantly, it's, it's an issue, I think, for a lot of women. Say, for instance, some athletes will go on a certain type of contraception in order for them to stop having periods altogether. And, you know, that also can be an issue if they're const oh, constantly taken in hormones so that's I suppose that's what kind of the, where the passion came from and then um, initially I was looking at menstrual cycle but then it was also looking at certain types of um, hormone contraception and how this affected bone health so for instance you know um, the injections the jab so some people call it uh, Depo-Provera or DMPA um, so these were ha seeming to be in the literature to have a quite negative effect on bone health um, and women were being discouraged from taking it for a prolonged time or for younger women. And um, the reason was because it affected bone health quite quite dramatically. But so negatively, the, so they had a decrease in bone density? Yeah. Yeah, right, okay. yeah, yeah. So the, then the advice from healthcare professionals was, well, we'll just do some exercise. So that, that should be able to counter the effect. But it seemed that there were some studies that had been done, say, for instance, on um, a normal oral contraceptive pill, that if these women who were on the pill did some exercise at the same time, that actually made things worse and not better. So their bone health was the same as somebody who was m more sedentary and weren't on the pill. So it seemed as though it wasn't maybe it's not it wasn't as simple as just combining the exercise uh, and, and that would be OK. So we just started doing cross-sectional studies where we looked at um, how much exercise people were doing and if they were getting these injections, how that, what difference it made. And it seemed to have an inverse effect. So usually with the exercise, if you were, um, yeah, exercise will improve your bone health. But with these women who were using the injection, then the exercise was not improving their home work, bone health. It was making their bone worse. So there seemed to be some kind of relationship going on. So then I had a PhD student. So she was looking at interventions to improve bone health in women who were or had low estrogen because of the contraception they were taking. But she was looking at both DMPA, the injection users, and oral contraceptive users. And she found that um, with just jumping as an intervention, this was enough to um, improve bone health. So the idea is that the bone health has to be, the, the intervention, the exercise has to be really targeted. So it's got to be bone loading. So, it's, so it was jumping on a hard surface without shoes on. Um, it had to be something that was fairly unique. So for instance, people who go jogging, their bone health is slightly worse than people who sprint. Um, and it had to be rest inserted. So something you would jump and then you would rest, you would jump and rest and only do it on three to five days. So I think for a lot of women that that is manageable. So for females who don't do any exercise at all, adding those jumps into into your day is achievable. And for women who do exercise, maybe the, the doing exercise that's weight supported, like swimming, like cycling, if they could combine that with just a few jumps a day, that would, would be enough to enhance their bone health, even though they might be estrogen deplete because they're using contraception, or if you're an athlete because you have lost your period for um, energy availability reasons you know you can't get enough energy in um, versus how much you're using so yeah just generally the this targeted exercise um, could be beneficial so is it because I know that people still take that type of contraception right is it just that the depot contraception or is it 
I think you were saying there's other contraceptions that also um, depl or, um, have a negative effect on bone density? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about Depot, but in this country, the, the numbers of women who are, t who are using it have gone down. Um, so instead, uh, maybe Im the implant is, is taken over a little bit just because of the worries about um, side effects from it. Um, but not necessarily globally, you know, mm. injected, it's still being used. Um, but any um, compound that's got... Um, low levels of estrogen and if you think about it you're not getting your normal levels of estrogen into your body um so you, you know there's that you you're out of balance of what you would have would have been maybe in the past and how we've evolved so we've probably evolved to be pregnant all the time to not lose have menstrual loss um to have um high levels of estrogen and progesterone that are always there um, and now in today's society, we have replaced that with taking hormonal contraception. I'm not saying not to take anything. It's just that um, those kind of things um, have to be balanced against what you do. So the things like the exercise, the targeted exercise has to be like that in order to counter the effects of the decrease in bone health through low levels of estrogen that you might be taking synthetically. It's not something I have ever thought about. And I mean, I remember being on birth control pills for a prolonged period of time when I was younger, then have babies and then, you know, have, you know, an IUD or a marina, but nowhere within that. I'm sure it was written as a side effect or people have mentioned it, but I'd never, I've never thought about the uh, effects to bone health within that mm. when taking mm. that. So it did. Does anybody, do people know this at all? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah it is in the literature, especially about the injections. Uh, there's not that much done on the pill. And, uh, you know, I think um, the doses, they've probably got it quite right to make the balance so that um, issues in terms of risk of breast cancer and cardiovascular disease are minimised because of the, the ratio of oestrogen progesterone. So it tries to replicate the body, but in lower amounts. Um, but it's still, it, you know, it, it, taking any medication, it would still have side effects. And that's why I don't know what, you, you, you know, your, your pill box comes with a three page. I don't think I ever read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever yeah. took it on time either. So <laughs> it worked out um, pretty well. <laughs> You said about um, you said before about what your research area is. I mean, there's also um, research about um, musculoskeletal issues to do with hormones, and and I don't know loads about this. But say, for instance, ACL injuries, yeah, so um, they're prevalent in females, and it, it, it could be anatomical, um, but one of the reasons could be because of estrogen. So estrogen changes your um, um, your muscles' ability to contract, um, and your muscles ability to recover so maybe that has something that's relevant to the research you're doing oh hmm. uh, yeah I'm not we're not looking so much at muscles uh, we may look at um, structural integrity of some of the yeah. pelvic floor muscles but our focus yeah. is more on the connective tissue support yeah um, and how yeah. much descent which again is still you know hormonally okay. mediated so sorry I probably shouldn't have said muscles it's more about no, no. Uh, Structural integrity yeah. and collagen synthesis. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it it could. I know it's just looked at the knee joints, but there should be something in there in terms of, um, yeah, the tendons, ligaments. Yeah, and didn't something. didn't they find there was an increase? Some studies had found there was increased laxity at ovulation, and then others yeah. had found it was yeah. just before people yeah. women had got their periods. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. So. Yeah, do you think that would make a difference for the research you're looking at? Think I think we need to really think about it and we haven't I it's on my list of things I need to um work out um because we're mm. not recruiting for that part yet but yeah we I, I still haven't made up my mind as to how I'm going to do it or if it's just going to end up being a limitation or um because again people are going to be on a variety of women who are taking birth control who aren't who are on so many different things and then if they have to come at certain times is that going to affect recruitment so and this is you know I've never done studies before so <laughs> it's a learning yeah. curve yeah yeah yeah
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Almost stick to the basics first and yeah. then think about how you could modify things to take account of menstrual cycle. Which is why it's been on my list and I haven't addressed it yet because I'm like, there's so many other things I have to plan for first. But as I'm a clinician as well, so I see patients twice a week and, you know, I, you see um, and you hear from symptoms about the effects of where people are in their menstrual cycle and how they feel with regards to prolapse symptoms. So yeah. I don't think it's something that we can't just ignore. We have to take into account. I just haven't worked out how yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think definitely, I think it must make a difference. I mean, I don't know this area in, enough, but I think especially if prolapse occurs with after pregnancy or um, um, with menopause, then it's got to be something tied up with estrogen progesterone yeah. <laughs> people people always come with their symptoms saying it is worse less at ovulation but worse right before they get their period um and that first day of um and, and i was you know it's funny too like and again there's no research that i've seen on it but in sport and exercise you know there's all these um discussions on program development surrounding um seasonal training whereas I always find that women kind of have seasons every single month but there's no talk about periodization for periods yeah. yes <laughs> that's interesting yeah um, yeah there should be <laughs> there should be but like and I, I'm just kind of what's that <laughs> There's a new book title for you. <laughs> yeah, you can take that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how to address that. But again, because everybody is a little bit different, but I just tell people to keep it in mind that, you know, if their period's coming up or they're not sure it's coming up and they feel sluggish and, and heavy and fatigued and have no energy, I'm like, you kind of have to listen to your body. Don't go and torture yourself. But it's hard if they're training in a sporting team or they've got a competition coming up that it's, you know, they can't really do anything about it sometimes. Yeah. Um, so with regards to the effect of um, hormones on bone health, if we kind of talk about bone health, why why is it so important? Why do we care about bone health? Um, really, it's to do with um, with risk of fracture. So if you have low bone health, you're at an increased risk of fracture. And there's some statistics to say that if you reduce by one standard deviation in your bone mineral density, then the fracture risk will increase by, it depends what site, but increase by a magnitude of 10 or whatever it is. So it's important for um, avoiding fracture. Um, to make sure that your bone health is good. Um, you wouldn't necessarily know you've got poor bone health, and that's the other problem. It's a silent disease. So with osteoporosis, for instance, you don't know you have it until you've got it, until you've witnessed your first fracture. So it might be that you're playing a sport and you fall over, and then you you get a fracture, and then maybe there's some indication that you might have um might be prone to low bone health or maybe you just have a, a mild fall and something happens and you, you you have a wrist fracture for instance so um there's signs there that you could um, have osteoporosis then or in the future so it's important to make sure that you carry on being uh, functional and um, in later life that you can still um, get around and uh, you know osteoporosis an osteoporotic fracture is linked to increased mortality so often if you've had a hip replacement for instance then um, your your mortality rates are going to increase so, yeah, longevity is improved if you have good bone health. And do you know if there's ways that um, women can prevent, um, other than kind of looking at uh, birth control, are there certain exercises that they should be involved in that you were talking about jumping and impact? Are there any other exercises they should be involved in to help with bone density? Well, I suppose the ones to avoid is things like swimming and cycling because they're weight supported. So if you are doing any exercises like that, then to complement it with something else. Um, we've also just done a, um, 
systematic review and meta-analysis on the upper body. So um, looking at different types of exercises that could be effective to improve bone health um, there. Um, because Sorry, often, is, that, is that in women who have poor bone health to begin with or is that just in uh, anyone? No, sort of generally to okay. um, just looking at a before and after kind of re- randomized control t- trial type interventions where they've measured bone health before and then after. So not necessarily in women with um, poor bone health, but just because of the nature of the studies that were included in the systematic analysis, you will you'll get postmenopausal women, older women. Um, so maybe they would have had fairly low levels of bone health. Okay. Uh, so we then we we tried to group them according to the types of activities. So there was there was a group that were doing um, resistance training, and we called it high force resistance training. So this is your usual stuff that you would do in the gym. So maybe your eight to ten repetitions at about um, 85 percent of one repetition maximum, okay. and you would do two or three sets of those three times a week, something like that. So those types of exercise came out as being, we all grouped them together and they all seemed to be effective, um, that had a, a, a moderate increase in bone health. Then we also grouped um, the ones that were more um, resistance training, but of low force. So this would be your typical circuit. So maybe a body weight or an elastic band type thing, um, or um, low dumbbell weights. And actually, the, they came out as being more effective than the high force ones, or slightly more. Um, and, but maybe this was to do with the novelty of the exercise, because they were slightly different. So the bone responds quite well, um, better to when something's completely different. So if there were twisting, torsional kind of forces or um something slightly different um, this seemed to have an effect and then the other one um, was an impact type of forces so on these there was only two studies included in this group so we couldn't really make a really sound conclusion Um, and these two studies both involved wall drops so you would stand about a meter from the wall and you'd have your hands out and you would almost fall yeah from a distance away um and this in the two studies it really improved their bone health but collectively we couldn't we couldn't do the conclusion because there were so few participants yeah. that this these were of good quality and we couldn't say that this had a diff, uh, made a difference so um generally some kind of exercise for the upper body w- would be effective so it, it, bone is very site specific so it will only um grow in or improve in certain areas that are um, targeted so for instance the um dominant arm of racket players tends to ha- tend to have better bone health the um, upper body of gymnasts the lower body of runners seem to be better so you have to make sure that if you are exercising you exercise all aspects of the body because wrist fracture for instance is quite one of the the, the the one of the high fractures that you can get you know it's quite prevalent um usually because people fall onto the hands if they do trip so making sure that you also improve the bone health in your upper body is also important so which part of the upper body did you measure uh we were looking at the wrist because we okay, were looking yeah. at yeah so yeah uh, mainly because the risk, the, the the high rates of wrist fracture. Yeah. Now, if, with regards to osteopenia and osteoporosis, um, I have not read literature on that in years. Is there the pathophysiology? Is there a genetic component to it? Do we still? Do, can you pick and point which people are possibly that's going to happen to? Yeah, there's there's still a high genetic component. Um, um, so if you've got a family member who is, has osteoporosis, it's more likely that you will. Um, it's also related to body size. So BMI, for instance, if you have a really low body mass index, then you're more likely to um, have osteoporosis because unlike other, ex- other exercise, um, it's actually quite good to have a little bit of fat and a bit of muscle on you too. I was going to say, or muscle. (laughs) We can be overweight or we can have, you know, bigger muscles. So um, 
you what well, they've did so one study for instance they they did look at overweight women and um the women lost weight and then their bone health wasn't as good after they'd lost the weight so it's important to have a bit of uh to be overweight almost to improve bone health so if you are quite slight quite slender um also in caucasian and asian women they're more um, prone to um, osteoporosis also age obviously so the older you are uh, increased risk of osteoporosis. So they're all the factors that almost you um, that, that that are uh, there, like genetics, that um, that is part of you. But then there's other lifestyle factors like exercise, um, how much sunlight you have. I mean, I, I know, like in Australia, for instance, there was um, there was concerns because of increased use of sun cream and not going outdoors um, because people were worrying about skin cancer, and that has an inverse effect on then bone health because you're covering up all the time. Um, so sunlight is really important. And in countries like mine, where it's never sunny, <laughs> it's important to be outdoors. So they've done some studies in, um, say, countries like uh, really high amounts of exposure outside in the winter because you're just not getting enough vitamin D um, through sunlight exposure. Um, so yeah, sunlight, your diet, obviously, it's dairy products, things like that is important for improving bone health. Um, also, we're trying to do a study on prunes and looking at the effect of um, prunes. <laughs> you know, I think I used to like them at one point, but I can't say I like them anymore. Uh, dried prunes, I mean, they're just plums, just yeah, dried. True. So when you say plums, it sounds nicer, doesn't it? Dried plums. It does, sounds better. <laughs> and you have to have about six or seven of these dry plums a day, and that can be important for bone health. Um, just because of things like um, they've got a certain type of uh, flavonoid, in, which is um, helps with, with bone uh, turnover. So if you're lactose intolerant, if you uh, are vegan, then you might then decide, right, well, I'll, I'll stick to my dried plums, my prunes. Yeah. And that can bone health. Do you find that I see a lot of women who um, find out that they're osteoporotic when they're postmenopausal? Is there any warning signs maybe beforehand, or how come they, some people aren't caught until that period of time after um, they go through menopause? Would they yeah, may, I, may have had good bone density and then the change in hormones changed their bone density at that time? Yeah, that's right. I think, um, yeah, there is a dramatic drop off, especially in that perimenopausal period. Um, Which starts yeah. around age 35, I hear. Well, it just depends on, yeah, it just depends on an individual. So, um, yeah, so there is a, a big decrease in, in bone health and you wouldn't necessarily get any signs at all. So, um, you might generally have aches and pains, but it could be anything. It could, you know, as you're aging anyway. So you wouldn't know that you've got bone health problems unless you go and have a bone scan. And there are scans that you can go that that have got. I mean, I know it, um, dual energy X-ray absorptiometry is the gold standard for measuring bone mineral density. But there are also you can get heel bone scans, for instance, that are no X-ray and they're a lot cheaper and that you wouldn't have to go through your GP for them so it might be worth checking if you are worried maybe because you've got a family history maybe because you're slight maybe Asian Caucasian um, that maybe the exercise that you've done isn't it is more weight supported um, then and you're worried about it then I would encourage females to go and get a scan because it can be easily rectified with changes in lifestyle with changes in diet and exercise and maybe looking at uh, hormone replacement but really, we're trying to promote exercise in women through kind of all stages so that they don't end up in that period where they, you know, then go through menopause and then find out that they have low bone density. So trying to make all those, you're trying to promote all of these changes before people get to that period, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's trying to improve peak bone mass and um, your peak bone mass will really increase when you're younger. So it might be too late for some people, but if you look back at what you used to do and if you were in the playground and you were outside playing all the time and you were jumping around and uh, quite, you know, quite active as a child, then it's very likely that you've got good bone bone mass. Um, Even with athletes and they've stopped doing the exercise, they can still maintain quite a a good amount of uh, bone mineral density Um, but yes it's keeping that going through the premenopausal period there won't be as much of an increase in bone mineral density as there would have been when you were younger if you've done if you suddenly start doing some exercise but it's just trying to prevent the loss that might be occurring during that premenopausal period to maintain the bone health before you hit menopause. Was there a period of time, say, 25 years ago, I'm trying to think before I did my physio degree when I was working as an exercise physiologist in Canada, I thought people were under the assumption that you couldn't increase bone mineral density. Was there a period of time that people didn't... What's that? During your premenopausal years, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, there are quite a few studies that have been done on premenopausal women, and there is an increase. It might not be as dramatic as in um, a younger population, for instance, but it you would still get an effect. Maybe the, the when they report it, the effect is not big enough to have a decrease in fracture risk. So maybe that's what they're reporting, but there is yeah. still an effect. And even if the effect is that you're maintaining your bone health and you're not decreasing it, so if you can comparing against a control and there is a reduction then you know that's better than 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 nothing you know yeah do you think that's maybe where that that idea has come from yeah I can't remember it was a long it was a long time ago I just remember I thought I'd heard that you couldn't increase it and I'm like well that sucks (laughs) what if you didn't you know hit your peak bone mineral density by the certain age and then now you're kind of um, in trouble but knowing that people can still increase it so postmenopausal women if they get to that stage where they weren't doing any of the other you know factors that will promote it they get to the stage they find out that they do have osteoporosis like you said there's lots of things that they can do that doesn't just maintain where they're at they can now actually increase bone mineral density yeah that's right i mean i think um in men of the postmenopausal population the studies are, are fairly mixed so some have found for instance there was one classic study um where they um, did some um heel drops and they did it they did them in a premenopausal population and postmenopausal and they found that the premenopausal women improved their bone health but the um, postmenopausal didn't um but it's a combination of factors because there's other studies on postmenopausal women that have found a big increase and so it just kind of depends on what their starting point is what the to- the type of exercise and how targeted it is and also if the women are on uh, hormone replacement therapy or what other um, other factors need to be taken into account so their nutritional factors and their um, yeah their HRT for instance so it's a little bit mixed but I can't I don't think you could categorically say that once hmm. you reach menopause it's all over stop yeah. doing anything <laughs> So, you know, you, it would be still important to um, improve bone health, even if you're stopping the decrease that's occurring. So keep keep doing the exercise, keep doing the targeted exercise, which specifically lo- loads the bone. Yeah. So unfortunately, not the nice swimming and not the nice jogging, but the more impact stuff, the sudden movements, the sudden changes in movement. So carry on being a ninja warrior when you're 60. (laughs) Which is interesting that you say jogging, that jogging, even though it's impact, still doesn't necessarily count. Like it's not enough. It's not enough impact or because our body's kind of accustomed to that movement. Or you said if someone's used to running. Yeah, that's it. It's it's getting accustomed to the movement. But that's not to say that don't do jogging, hmm. um, because obviously, you know, they found in studies even on walking for individuals who are completely sedentary, maybe the institution, they're living in a in a, an old person's type home, and then suddenly they do some walking. This is a massive effect in terms of their bone health. Um, so it depends on what your starting level is. If you've always jogged throughout your life, then it's not going to suddenly make a big difference just because 
you're carrying on jogging in your menopausal years. So um, especially when you get older, you probably do kick back a little bit and you do jog a little bit more and you do, oh, I don't want to completely push yourself. So you wouldn't necessarily be uh, on the football field doing sudden twisting movements and jumping movements and stretching movements you wouldn't go for that ball but um, when you get uh, when you get older but it's still important to do those kinds of things mm. as you get older um, for bone health so yeah. um, to keep sort of pushing yourself a little bit so for instance if you are a jogger you might go jogging and, and instead you jump over a puddle or you jump off a, a a style that you go over so you add things like that into the 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 uh, your jogging that could improve you or you do a 10 meter sprint something like that and that could be enough to keep your bone in check yeah now you mentioned with the systematic review and meta-analysis you did that it was just on the upper body are you looking at the lower body as well well, we'd already, um, my the PhD student had already done on a systematic review and meta-analysis on the lower body. So that's where she came up with the intervention okay. of jumping from. Um, oh, so yes. she was in premenopausal women. So yeah, the focus we were trying to look at is... Um, uh, there was a Cochrane review out about um, wrist fracture and um, what rehabilitation for physiotherapists, what physiotherapists could use um, to rehabilitate the, uh, uh, following a wrist fracture. So that's kind of been our target, really, looking at um, outcomes post wrist fracture. You had said with the upper body um, uh, exercises that you had people using kind of heavier loads as opposed to higher volume and lower loads and that the higher volume lower lows actually had fared off better with bone density as opposed to the heavier loads um a little bit i mean we also examined the quality of the study so you know a lot some of them were low to moderate quality um yes but yeah you're right it wasn't necessarily the volume it was just more about the type of exercise variability so um for instance there were ones that involve twisting forces with with the um wrists uh ones that involved elastic use of elastic bands um different types of music movement that you would probably get in your everyday life and so our thinking was maybe that had uh, uh, was the factor um but again it could have been dependent on the population that was being looked at a lot of the time they were on postmenopausal women um so maybe they had the biggest biggest to gain and we certainly found that so in our premenopausal population there wasn't as big a gains as there were in our postmenopausal just because of maybe the starting level of bone mineral density was lower in the postmenopausal population hmm. and i i asked that because i've seen some studies where they're looking at postmenopausal women and soon they'll be doing it in the teenage years where they're using the heavy lifting principles in order to increase bone mineral density um <laughs> but the really heavy lifting. Um, so yeah. that's why I was surprised when you said that as to... Um, uh, if you have to think about how the bone adapts mm. and um, what's happening with, with your growth. If you grow muscle, then that's beneficial because the, your muscle, like being overweight, is pulling on the bone and the bone adapts to that, that, that heavier muscle mass that you have on your body. Um, so that's one of the advantages of doing strength type training. Um, but if you think about your muscles are kind of working with the bones and pulling on the bones, so that mm. makes a difference as well. But if you're loading the bone by impact, so if you're jumping, that is, it's vibrating through the bone, if you like. So um, that maybe could have more of a, an effect than just doing regular strength training in the gym because it's it's the it's the muscle that's being targeted not the bone hmm. per se yeah and it's, I think yeah and I think those studies had included some impact training as well but they were just more focusing on the the load and resistance part but um yeah it's it's such a it's such an interesting and important area but I just don't feel like it's talked about enough until people hit that stage where they're in trouble or if they're working with that that patient population yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, maybe, like you said before, um, you don't look at the warning signs on your your 
whatever contraception hormonal contraception you use and um but you know it's important to realize the things that you do in your life are going to have an effect ultimately and i think we're probably far more aware of things like cardiovascular disease and what we're eating and what we 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 you know making sure that we're not overweight and that we're doing exercise more so than we are thinking about our bone health because it's, it is a silent disease it is hidden but yes just i suppose this is the point of the podcast trying to to raise um, awareness if, people's minds not to get anybody worried about it but just also if you are a healthy person anyway it's just um you know if if you're uh, going to look after your cardiovascular health then why not also look at at your bone health as well so incorporates little things in your exercise program in order to increase your bone health as well so keep doing a a varied amount of exercise keep doing the twisting actions the turning the jumping the impact actions um rather than just you know your long endurance walks or your your jog jog jogging (laughs) i wonder too like you know when you hear something like my father ever since i was growing up would always talk about garlic and honey to the point where i would just block him out and now i'm like oh yeah 40 years later there's benefits to garlic and honey whereas if people keep hearing the benefits of you know exercise on the cardiovascular disease or obesity it's almost like i wonder if over time they stop listening to that whereas now that there's more discussion about bone density it's almost like ooh a new thing that you need to exercise for maybe it will motivate people a bit more maybe maybe if we can you know hit hard with the prunes then <laughs> i think oh wow this is the latest thing i better get some prunes in um it's hard though isn't it it's, it's with with um with so much now that's available online you know what how do you balance your exercise how do you balance your diet to be the perfect specimen if you want to be healthy um there's so many contrasting things that that, that can be done and i think maybe um it's not like they shut off it's that people become overwhelmed by the amount of information there is yeah. and maybe people really will just end up doing what they want to do so what you enjoy eating what you enjoy exercising doing so although I can advocate right this is the perfect amount of prunes you should be eating this is the perfect amount of exercise you should be doing for improving bone health at the end of the day I'm quite happy if people just do some exercise or they eat more healthy because that's what we're trying to achieve sort of generally for health isn't it so you know, yes, I can completely get the idea that people wouldn't necessarily change their lifestyle because you also want to enjoy life. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. You want to have, I don't know, the chocolate bar or, you know, you, you don't sometimes feel like exercising. It's perfectly normal. But mm-hmm. I think just generally doing a bit of exercise is better than doing nothing. Yeah. Now, you we, we've talked about how the hormones kind of affect bone health and exercise. Um, we won't get it, into it too much, but is there the reverse relationship where exercise affects um, bone health and hormones in a negative impact? Uh, yeah, I mean, as part of the female athlete triad. So, for instance, uh, those three things are usually related. Um, so, um, is as a, an athlete, for instance, or somebody maybe who has is addicted to exercise, does a lot of exercise. Um, the energy availability is not quite right. So, for instance, maybe they can't get enough um, food into the amount of energy expenditure that they're having, or maybe it's something to do with um, uh, negative, you know, adverse eating patterns. So. Um, uh, various eating behaviours that are not healthy, like anorexia, for instance. This brings then a system where you start um, changing in terms of your menstrual cycle. And you might not even know that this is happening because you it has been masked by, say, taking the pill or using some other kind of contraception. Um, but um, there are changes going on in terms of your hormonal balance, um, which then has an adverse effect on your bone. So both the menstrual cycle and also what you're eating. So, for instance, if you're not getting enough calcium in your diet, if you're not having enough vitamin D and phosphorus, then these can have an adverse effect on bone. Plus the menstrual cycle deficiencies can also um, produce um, poor bone mass. So there are lots of situations where um, female athletes 
athletes or individuals who are almost addicted to exercise or exercise a lot um, can have these these problems and result in really poor bone health and can have fractures at a very young age. You, it's almost like you've got to question if you've had a fracture when you're younger, what was going on when you were younger that, that, that led to that? Um, and you, it might just be a stress fracture that you might get through in your ribs, for instance, that um, could you, you could think um, maybe I am not looking after my body because I'm exercising too much or I'm not eating the right, oops, I'm not eating the right type, type of things. So, yes, there can be adverse effects that can occur with too much exercise. So we got to find balance. Yeah. Yeah. So you're speaking at conferences, um, but I think I'd seen online, is it through... Is it through the WISE AN or somewhere you were doing some online lectures, maybe? No, but, you know, we were, we've got to, as part of the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network, um, we've only kind of really just started. And yeah. um, we have a website and we really want to do things like you're doing in terms of your podcasting, uh, which is great, by the way. So we would like to have a section on the website where we can link up to podcasts and yeah. maybe YouTube videos or something like that. And what we're trying to do is make it uh, the research like exactly like you're doing, re- research more accessible to general population, yeah. but also like-minded individuals um so by because sometimes the reach when you you write something in a journal article is isn't where you want it mm. so uh, if you put something in a magazine or if you do a podcast or a youtube video then that gets the people that you really want to to, to reach out to and you can make a difference so what we're trying to do is the people who are researching and producing papers to make that into a bite-sized clip that then people can listen to or watch and um, that can make maybe a bigger impact um, to people that you want to make an impact to so those people for me for instance who are menopausal or got low bone health or are exercising too much or exercising too little you know we can make a difference rather than being just published in um, a medical journal yeah the key word impact I've been learning all about research <laughs> and impact and how important impact is um, which you're right you're just trying to get that information to everybody but then they also need to find out that the podcasts exist I'm like oh that's there's yeah. just so much more yeah. that you have to do <laughs> so I'm like okay are the um are the journal um are the publishers okay when you're saying like taking information from research articles and putting them into bite-sized information in your ears how are publishers with that are they okay with that um, I, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> No, so, I mean, I, I think I know, you know, when you have to tick the box that says it's not being published el- elsewhere in the same yeah. format. But I think that's, you know, they understand that you're going to go and do conferences, that you're going to speak to people. They must understand that you're going to do podcasts and recordings and lectures. And that is a normal, that must be a normal process. I'm wondering whether in the future that will become more of a bigger deal. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I've just read that um, something like, there's 57 million podcasts to listen to oh, in the UK. Oh, my gosh. Um, was it a, a day or something? I, and maybe I've got these completely statistics wrong. Maybe it's well worked. I don't know. But a lot. And um, so maybe, you know, with a new type of sort of broadcasting, um, maybe um, the, the medical journals will have to make some kind of statement to say that you can't go and talk about it to large audiences I don't know yeah it's hard because they can see it as promotion in order for people to go yeah and then get the article but there is also I mean if you read the article word for word on a podcast then they don't need to get it and that may not be appropriate yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. that would yeah be. so if I was just sitting here reading yeah <laughs> you ask questions about this uh, systematic review and meta-analysis we've done and I've really hoped I've got the right answers I know that I haven't been <laughs> in it and I've, I've written the, the results but you still forget slightly what you've done so I'm not doing it word for word I'm just getting I'm giving you the gist exactly it's a perfect amount that if they want to learn more then they have to go and get the article and that yeah. will boost your impact right <laughs> yeah 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 oh, well, sorry if I'm wrong everybody <laughs> no oopsies that's okay um well thank you so much for your time and for sharing um you know just a snippet of the information that we probably could have chatted about.